0: Well, church, we are just under halfway through our series in the book of 1 John. All summer long, we've been working through the New Testament book of 1 John. And today, John is going to be talking about a very particular topic. He's going to be talking about how to identify family. Now, just for a moment, I want you to think about all of the different ways that you can identify that somebody's a part of a particular family, right? Maybe uh, maybe they look the same. Maybe they laugh at the same jokes. Maybe they share common experiences and as to how they become a part of that family. Any of you ever been to, you know, perhaps this summer, been to a birthday party or graduation party, and you're not a part of the family, and you're there, and you're trying to figure out, oh, which one's grandma, or who's, right? And you're trying to figure out which part of the members of this, of, of this gathering are the family members. You're looking for various things, little clues that tell you that they are a part of the family. Well, today, John is going to talk about how to identify family, but he's not going to be talking about family of origin. He's going to be talking about identifying the family of God. What are the marks of someone who is truly a part of the family of God? You might remember last week, if you, if you were here, you, you might remember that last week John is, it was addressing this crisis that had happened in the, in the community where a group of people left the church denying that Jesus was the Christ. Well, what's gone, the reason why John's addressing this topic today is that the, the community is still left wondering, how do we know who's truly a part of us? How do we know who's a part of the family of God? And so John is going to help his readers process that by helping them understand what does it mean to be a child of God. We've been asking and challenging us to bring our Bibles every single week during this series. If you brought it, great, pull it out. If you didn't, that's okay. Grab the Bible either in your your pew holder or pull it up on your phone if that's how you would prefer to to follow along. I'm just going to warn you throughout this message, you're going to want to be kind of able to see the text at times. And so I'm going to be mentioning verses here, verses that. So make sure that you're able to, to see it at times, okay? It, it'll be up on the screen, but I promise you it's sometimes helpful to be able to see it, see that verse in the wider text, if you will, the wider context. So make it available for you as best as you can. We're going to be starting in first John, John chapter 2, and we're going to be starting with verse 28. Chapter 2, verse 28, and we're going to be reading into the third chapter and ending at verse 10. So first John chapter 2, starting with verse 28. Let's hear what John has to say to us this day. John writes, And now, dear children, Continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and, confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Now, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or their sister. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Now, let's begin by just trying to get kind of a, a 10,000 foot view as to what John is saying in this text for, uh, for a moment, okay? So here's, here's John's basic train of thought for those of you who are very logical and like to see what the steps are. So, John is starting off by saying, look, when you become a Christian, you become what John says, you are born of God. You see, he introduces that in verse 29, 229. He introduces this idea of being born of God. When you become a Christian, you are born of God. Now to be born of God, this is his next step, to be born of God means you are now a part of God's family. If you are born of God, you've now become a part of God's family, and therefore, and he says this in chapter 3, verse 1, you can now consider yourself a child of God. You see the, see the, the logic so far? Now, if you are a child of God, says John, you will imitate your father. You will do and, and participate just like you belong in the family, by imitating your father. And John calls this doing what is right. And, and also by not sinning. And therefore, in order to know who is and who isn't a part of the family of God, what we need to look for is whether or not this, the, that particular person or people group are, is showing signs of love and obedience, doing what is right, or, and or whether or not they are continuing to live in sin. Those become the markers of whether we know somebody is a part of the family of God. Now, Before we dive into the details, let's let's move on to the very beginning of this passage. John starts off with this phrase, as I mentioned, in verse 29, 229. He introduces us to this, this phrase, born of God. Now, what in the world does that mean, to be born of God? No, that phrase, that metaphor is very unique to John. He's, the, he's one of the only New Testament writers that uses that, that, that phrase, being born of God. He loves to use this phrase as to what it means to be a Christian. And so if you're, if you're kind of following along and taking notes in your Bible, this is that place where if you want to, I want you to go ahead and circle all of the places where you see John uses that phrase to be born of God. He does it first in verse 2, 29. That's where the first place he does it. And then he does it two times later on in verse 9 of chapter 3, 3-9. Go ahead and circle all those places where you see he uses the word born of God. Now, some of you, you might know, John uses that same idea of being born of God in the Gospel of John, right? In one of the most famous places in Scripture where Jesus is having a conversation with a man named Nicodemus, he talks about what it means to be born anew or born again or to experience the new birth. So John 3, chapter 3, this is the Gospel of John. John 3, chapter 3, it, Jesus says this, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless, what? Unless they are Born again, you see that metaphor there it 's a metaphor of birth, and so if you want to maybe write john three three in the margin of of your Bible again to kind of remind you or trigger that that memory of oh, Jesus talked about this in the gospel that what it means to follow me requires this this be, this being born a second time, this new birth now. Interestingly, you'll see this too later. John talks about being born of God many, many times in his letter. In chapter five, we're gonna we'll, we'll look at that in future weeks. But chapter five, verse one, he says the the way that one begins to experience this second birth, this new birth, begins by confessing that Jesus is the Christ. This is 1 John five one. If you feel like flipping over, you can see it. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now. So we've looked at all these different places where John uses the metaphor of birth. But why? Why does he choose that metaphor? He could have chosen any metaphor, right? Why did he choose the metaphor of being born to talk about what it means to enter and become a part of the family of God, the body of Christ, the church? What's this metaphor of birth all about? Well, there's a handful of reasons that we can unpack for a second. So first of all, when you are spiritually reborn, okay, you experience this this coming aware of who God is, you become aware of the reality of your sin and the reality of God's presence in your life. For those of you who became a Christian as an adult, you can probably remember this moment. When you first became a Christian, as an adult especially, it was almost like somebody put on a new set of glasses or something, right, and you could suddenly just see the world anew, And you you saw two things. You saw the reality of your sin and you saw the reality of God's existence and presence, right? It was just like this, wow, he's there, right? Now, the idea of being born is that John is comparing that experience to the same experience that a newborn baby has when they suddenly open their eyes for their first time and they're like, oh my gosh, there's more to this world than I thought, right? Oh my gosh, it's cold out here, it's this awareness of there's, this, there's more to this world than I thought there was. They suddenly become aware of the world around them, and then they gradually become more and more aware, aware of the world. When you become born again, you become aware, sometimes for the very first time, aware that you are a sinner, and you repent. And you become aware of the reality that there is a God, and you believe, you repent and believe. So that's one reason why John loves this metaphor of birth. Another reason is that if you think about it, birth is this marker of the beginning of a journey, right? How many of you celebrate birthdays? Hopefully most of you. But it's this idea that there was a day that launched something into the future, right? What lies ahead is this never-ending journey of growth. So think of it this way. Getting saved is an event, right? It's this moment in time when you become a Christian, you become aware of God's of God's presence and existence in your life and, you, and the way of your sinner. But that is just an event. It's just a moment in time. Following Jesus doesn't stop there. You can't just say, oh, I had the event. It, it's the launching pad into this entirely new experience of what it means to, to know Jesus. The event is just the beginning, right? Birth is just the beginning. The event is just the beginning other other ways to think about it. The wedding is just the beginning. I know some, sometimes we think the wedding's the end. No, 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 no. There's some stories there. The wedding is just the event that launches the beginning of the marriage, Right, right? Or how about this? Those of you that have maybe gotten into school at some point or applied to colleges or something like that, you, you get into school, you get accepted, you get that acceptance letter. That's an event. But it's just the beginning of the education, right? Or you finally get the job, you get that phone call, and they're like, we're picking you, you're hired. Oh my gosh, what an amazing event. But it's just the beginning of the employment, right? So there's these, these moments in time that are radically important. And being born... Is of God to be to experience being born of God is an event that is radically important you can't get you can't have the rest of it without that event but it remember it's John's way of also reminding us that it's just the beginning of this entire journey of following Jesus now similarly to say that you're born of God to say that you've experienced to be born anew also allows you to look backwards and forwards at the same time so you can look backwards at where God has brought you, right? That's what we do at birthdays, right? We look backwards to, to where I've been taken by God throughout the course of my life, but we also simultaneously know that we're looking forwards because this is still a long, lifelong process of, of continual growth and transformation, right? So, another way is to think of it is you never stop growing. You can't at any point say, you know what, I'm done growing as a Christian. If you say that, you're wrong. You're constantly looking forward, constantly growing, constantly experiencing spiritual growth and transformation. The theological word for this is sanctification. If any of you want to know more about that, talk to me later. But lastly, John uses this, this metaphor of birth. So first, because he wants us to know that it's this awareness moment, second, because it's the launching pad into a journey of, of continual growth and transformation. But thirdly, and this is will kind of move us along in the rest of this section. Thirdly, he wants us to know that being born of God is so amazing because it shows a, an actual real change in your life. When you become a Christian, there is something about you that actually changes literally. You literally become somebody new. Paul says it in a different part of the Bible. In 2 Corinthians, he says, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. He just says it, boom. It's someone who's totally new, made new in Christ, new creation. John, similar idea. When you've been born again, you are being birthed into some totally new reality, there is a real change that takes place when you are born again. And what is that change? What is that real change? Well, John says it in the very first verse of chapter 3. 1 John 3.1a, John jumps out and he says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. I love that word, lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. You, you, John's almost jumping off the page. He's like he can't contain himself, trying to articulate and explain what this change is that happens when you become born of God. That, he says, when you become born of God, the change is you now become a child of God. You enter a totally new family and become a part of that family first and foremost, and are identified now first and foremost as being a child of that family, which means we're children of God. Now, you know, underline that phrase, if you will, children of God. Underline that phrase, children of God. John, as I said, he's jumping off the page in amazement. He can't even believe that any of this could actually be true. That just pause for a moment and think about what he's saying here. The same God who spoke galaxies into existence loves you so much that he wants you to consider yourself his child. Not just as a title, not just as a nickname, right? Not just kind of like, oh, yeah, you can, you know, wear that name tag whenever you want kind of thing. No, he's saying this is a real change. You are a child of that almighty, incredible creator God. We are actually God's children. I mean, maybe you can think of movies or, or stories where, where you know, maybe, like, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but there's movies out there where, you know, a, a, a foster child or a kid or something, an orphan, is welcomed into some type of a family, and it always starts off rough, and there's conflict, and they don't know what to do, but sort of at the, through the out the course of the movie, the the family begins to rally around that child, and there's this, usually there's this point where that child is stunned at the awareness and the recognition that they are actually a part of this family now, right? Usually there's tears and there's hugging, but there's this recognition of, oh my gosh, you know, you can almost imagine parents looking at a a, a child, and they're like, you are now a part of this family. You are my son, you are my daughter. I don't care what anybody else says. This is your family, right? And it's this overwhelming sense of, of awe should hit you when you recognize that that's what God is trying to say to you. That when you are born of God, you are a part of my family now. Don't let anybody else tell you anything other. You're a part of this family. It's it's, it's, and it's this true, true reality. Now, as we move right along, John begins to now explain implications or consequences of what it means to be a part of the family of God, right? So what are the results of, of being a part of this family? Let's take a look at 1 John 3, 1 through 3, okay? Starting, we're going to half, halfway through verse 1. John writes, The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and we will be, what we will be has not yet been made known. Did you hear that in the beginning of verse 2? He says, Now we are children of God. Like it's happened. We are now children of God. What we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is. Is pure. Okay, so in those verses, John's giving us some results, consequences of now being a part of the family of God, now being children of God. Here's the first one. The first one is not a very fun one. The first one is this. The world does not know us. Do you see that in the very, uh, towards the end of verse one? The world does not know us. This means that the world will not fully recognize Christians or take them seriously. When you become a part of the family of God, you become a part of a family that that those who are outside of that family just can't seem to get it. They they just don't grasp what is going on, if you will, inside the family. They can't fully recognize you because they can't fully recognize God. Remember the, the, the birth metaphor? They haven't yet had that Aha! experience of the reality of sin and the reality of God's presence. If they haven't had that experience yet, they can't fully understand you because they can't fully understand God. Now, in the Gospel of John, he says, the, he says more or less the same thing, but he's talking about Jesus in, this, in that context. This is John 1.10, okay? The Gospel of John 1.10. He's talking about Jesus, and he says, Jesus was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world, What? did not recognize him. Do you see the similarities there? Just like the world couldn't recognize Jesus, they couldn't fully understand or grasp who Jesus was, so too, if you're a part of the family of God, the world won't be able to fully recognize us the world will not be fully aware of what God is doing in your life. And so those of you that are friends with people that are not non-believers, that are not a part of the church, you've experienced this probably firsthand where there's times where they're just like, what? I don't get you, (laughs) right? When you're fully living into the reality of what it means to be a part of the family of God, you will cause confusion in the best kind of way because people will not fully grasp what you are living into which is what leads to the opportunity to share the gospel that's another sermon but that is one of the first results now the second consequence that John identifies when you become a child of god is that we shall be like him do you see that in verse 2 he says when you are be- when you become a part of the child of god we shall be like him so underline that phrase we shall be like him if you wish okay underline that phrase man, this, John almost says it in passing, but if we really pause and reflect on what he's saying here, it should knock us off our seats. It's incredible, right? It's so amazing and even mysterious that even John admits, we don't really know what it's going to be like. (laughs) We know we're going to be like him, but he says this, he says, what we will be has not yet been made known. Uh, the, again, the Apostle Paul in another part of the Bible says something like this. He says, it's like we're looking in a dim mirror, right? We're looking through this, this vague mirror. We can't quite fully understand what it is that we're going to become someday, but we know it's going to occur. John is leaning into this, con- this idea, this, this truth, that when Jesus returns, when Jesus returns and sets up the new heavens and the new earth, and we see Jesus face to face, those who are born of God will be transformed to be like Jesus. Just just pause for a moment and imagine that one day you will see with your physical eyes the resurrected Lord of all, Jesus the Messiah. And when you do, just gazing at the resurrected Lord of all, Jesus the Messiah, will Change you. Just looking upon Jesus with your eyes will transform you in a way that, you can't even, that we can't even explain. It will transform us to become more like Jesus. We will be who God created us to be in the first place, living fully into this resurrected, resurrected body of who God has called us to be. And that change, that transformation will happen just by being in God's presence, just by being in the presence of Jesus. But there's, there's where John really gets real interesting. He says, but that transformation that will occur for those that are born of God, the transformation of becoming like Jesus, it happens and it begins today. You don't just wait, you don't just sit around waiting. It's something that ought to start the moment you become a part of the family of God. If you have not experienced transformation by becoming more like Jesus in your life, then you're probably not really taking things seriously. You can't be a part of the family of God without experiencing change. That's why John talks all, suddenly talks about purity and purifying oneself. He says that in verse 3, right? He says, you know, about purifying ourselves just as he is pure. He's trying to say that even now we begin to purify ourselves in the way that Jesus is full purity itself. So to purify yourself, this is what we see, this is Old Testament understanding, to purify yourself is to prepare yourself to enter into God's presence. That was what priests would do in the Old Testament times. Before they would enter into the temple, they had to purify themselves. To purify yourself is to prepare yourself to enter into God's presence. And John is saying, do that, begin that now. Begin that purification process today, because one day you will enter into the presence of God. If you begin to purify yourself today, you are showing reverence for God. You don't enter into God's presence casually. You don't just walk in and act like you own the place. No. Do you you really want to enter into God's presence covered in sin that you could have purified yourself from? You could have purified yourself from these things, but instead you chose not to, and now you're entering into God's presence, right? And John is saying, begin the purification process today. Today, prepare to stand into God's presence. Because think about it. If you don't like living a life of purity and holiness today, what makes you think you're gonna like heaven all that much? When you're standing in the presence of purity and holiness itself? If you don't want to purify and, and if you don't want to enter into a life of purity and holiness today, what makes you think you're gonna enjoy standing in the presence of purity and holiness itself? Start today, says John. Man, we're only halfway through the text. Sorry, guys. John keeps just moving us right along then. And now he starts to lean into the, the identifiers, the markers of what it means to be children of God. He, now we're going to look at verses four through nine. So if you're looking at the text, look at four through nine. Now he's going to start talking about sin, right? He's just mentioned about purity. What does it mean to purify ourselves? Now we're going to enter into, okay, what is it that we're purifying ourselves from? Sin. And he says, beginning with verse four, he says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now, what I want you to, to if, you're, if you're working through your Bible and underlining places, I want you to, to circle the phrase, sin is lawlessness, right there in verse 4. Sin is lawlessness. Circle that phrase, okay? Because that phrase is crucial to understanding the rest of this little paragraph, this section. Sin is lawlessness. Now, the Greek word for lawlessness is enomia. Is and that word, enomia, is a much deeper concept of sin than just disobeying a law, okay? There's actually another Greek word for that, that idea of sin, disobeying a law. So, enomia includes the idea. Of you know, here's the line. Don't cross it, oh, and I cross it. It includes that, but it also goes so much deeper than that. And so, when John is trying, what John is trying to describe is not you know little like a list of sins and oh, I committed this one, I committed that one. Like that's not what he's trying to describe here. He's trying to describe using that word anomia that we translate as lawlessness. He's trying to describe a lifestyle or an attitude, perhaps a posture, if you will, of living a sinful life. In other words, it's this, it's this habitual, um, habitual attitude or posture that pays no heed to any sense of right or wrong. A lawless life, says John, is incompatible with the life Jesus has to give us. In fact, he says this in verse 5, that's why Jesus came in the first place, to conquer and get rid of the power of sin in our lives. Now, in verses 7 and 8, he's, John will go on to explain that a life of sin and living a life of righteousness, excuse me, not living a life of sin and living a life of righteousness, that is the primary way to distinguish who is a child of God and who is a child of what John says he's a child of the devil. He says in verses 7 and 9, let's, read, let's take a look at that. Children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. Do you hear that? The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So what John's doing here in those two verses, he's now saying, look, there are two different families, if you will, that exist. Right? We're going back to identifying what family am I a part of? If you are a part of the family of God, you will know that by, this, by doing what is right, by doing what is righteous. If you're not that, John is saying, those that are a part of the family of the, of the devil, right, the child of the devil, this is a totally other family. You're not a part of this family. If you're living a sinful life, if you're living into this sin is lawlessness type of, of posture, type of lifestyle, then you're a part of that family. John is setting up two different families. Those that keep on sinning are part of the family of the devil. Those who continually, um, they they are continually revealing themselves as not being born of God. They're showing their true colors, if you will, as to who their family is. And then verse nine, we're moving right along. Verse nine, John is summarizing his main point. He also, he's just bringing a big summary statement to this passage and, and saying, those who are born of God will resemble their true family heritage. How? By living a lifestyle that is intentionally away from sin because they abide, they remain in God. That's why he says no one who is born of God will continue to sin, verse 9, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. If you are a part of the family of God, says John, then you will not go on sinning. You cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Now I'm guessing some of you are thinking, hold on, Pastor Ben. I thought I just heard you say that if I'm a part of the family of God, I cannot go on sinning. I'm um, sorry. I think you're wrong, Pastor Ben. What's going on here? What the heck is John talking about? I'm a Christian and yet I, I still sin. Explain this one, please. Remember... Remember, how, does John, how is John defining sin in this text? Sin is lawlessness. That's how he's defining sin in this text, in this passage. John is saying that true Christians do not and cannot continue in an ongoing lifestyle or attitude that is in opposition to God. You cannot enter into it, lead into this constant, continual, attitude, posture, way of living your life that is in opposition to God, true Christians can't do that. They don't do that. So it doesn't mean that you'll never, never disobey God again. It means that those who are part of God's true family do not live lives of continual disobedience. Remember, they've been born of God, which means they're constantly growing. You are constantly growing in growth and holiness. And it's, I know it's not some, like, perfect line straight up to the right. It's more like this, right? But it's this constant growth of, of in holiness working to become more like Jesus. There, in Scripture, there's plenty of examples of, of, of men and women who, after they became followers of God, they still sinned, right? King David, a man after God's own heart, committed murder and adultery. That's a pretty big one. The apostle Peter, the man who... who the man who walked on water with Jesus, later on, he would commit the sins of favoritism and and denying the grace of God. And in Galatians 2, we're told that the apostle Paul actually had to put Peter in his place. But David and Peter, even though they were both followers of God, they knew how to not allow those sins to become ongoing lifestyle postures towards opposition to God. They repented. They asked for forgiveness. They did the hard work of changing their lives to be obedient to God. They chose to not go on sinning. They chose to not live in lawlessness. They sought to do what is right. That is what it means to follow Jesus in the midst of our sanctification. Yes, we're going to mess up, but what we do is we seek repentance, and we seek to grow from that, and we become more holy the next time around then John then gives us the primary example of what it means to be children of God. So we want to, okay, well, what's that primary thing that it's going to say that I'm a part of the family of God? John says it in the verse 10, the last verse of this text. This is how we know who the children of God are and the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Do you hear that word love? That word love, John is going to use that to propel us into next week's passage where he's going to start unpacking all what it means for the family of God to love one another. So what's John's main point? Ultimately, what are the, what are the takeaways? If there's one thing to know, you know what's that, what are those takeaways that he wants us to know? First, he wants us to know that there truly is a way to distinguish who is and who isn't a part of the family of God. He wants us to know that there's a way to identify who is and who isn't a part of the family of God. And the question, or the, the, the question, if you will, that John leaves us, forces us almost to ask is, does my life reflect who my true father is? Does my life reflect who my true family is? See how, what great love the father has lavished on us that we are children of God and that is what we are. Does my life reflect that? Does my life reflect that I'm actually a true child of God? Because if it does, then I am constantly seeking to grow in love and constantly seeking to remove the sin in all of its forms from my life. Those are the markers of being a part of the family of God. Does your life reflect who your true family is? You know, as I've gotten older, more and more people who know my parents can immediately peg that I'm their son. It drives me nuts. And usually they say, that I'm somehow, that that I remind them of my dad. And it's, but it's not just looking alike. It's not that, it's not just like, oh, they can see. Oh, it's not that biological looking alike, like I'm like my dad. No, it's deeper than that. Because whether I want to admit it or not, over the years, I have picked up some of my dad's mannerisms and behaviors, and they drive me crazy, right? I cross my arms like my dad does all the time. I sit at the dinner table like dad. Every time we're at Thanksgiving, I like will look over and I'm sitting just like him and I'm like, ah, oh, why did I do it again? Right? <laughs> there are so many habits that I have picked up and just, just from being his son, being in his presence, being molded by him. I've become more like him. Even when I don't want to admit it, the more you participate in your family, the more you begin to act like them. I have four cousins who are all adopted. And even though they are not biologically related to my aunt and to my uncle, you can tell pretty darn quickly that they are a part of that family. Just because they don't look like them is not the key indicator. The key indicator is that they have imitated them and they have taken on the characteristics and qualities of what it means to be a part of my aunt and uncle's family. The more you participate in your family, the more you begin to act like them. So... Are you taking on the characteristics and qualities of the family of God? Are you taking on the characteristics and qualities of Jesus? Because one day when he appears, we will all be fully transformed into his likeness but we don't just wait around for that day to happen. We start today. We purify ourselves today. We begin to live like we belong a part of the family of God today. To be born of God means that you truly are a child of God. So live like one. Embrace God's love for you. Naturally seek to become someone who puts the sin in your life to death while simultaneously putting on a lifestyle of constant and continual love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, will you lead us to become deeper children of of God? That we might live to become more and more like the family of God so that we might be who you've created us to be. Lord, where we need to grow, would you challenge us to make the hard decisions? Where we need to remove sin, would you help us weed it out? So that we might ultimately might seek be transformed to be as you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.